Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. We hope it encourages you to live and love like Jesus. Hello, my name is Emily Smith, and this is my husband, Nelson. Today, we will be reading from the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 and 6 through 9. When God began to create the heavens and the earth, the earth was without shape or form. It was dark over the deep seas, and God's wind swept over the waters. God said, let there be light, and so light appeared. God saw how good the light was. God separated the light from the darkness. God said, let there be a dome in the middle of the waters to separate the waters from each other. God made the dome and separated the waters under the dome from the waters above the dome, and it happened in that way. God named the dome sky. There was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the waters under the sky come together into one place so that the dry land can appear. And that's what happened. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Nelson and Emily, thank you so much for reading the scripture, tag teaming like that. That was awesome. Thank you for doing that. So we started a new series uh, last week, uh, God-sized questions, those kinds of questions that we often will say after some kind of event, whether it's miraculous or whether it's tragic. Uh, Well, I don't know, but someday when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God about that. Those kinds of questions. Those are the kinds of questions that we often don't spend a lot of time spending a lot of energy and uh, focus on it because they're so big, we think, how can I even begin to think about that question? So we're looking at some of those questions on these Sundays uh, here in January. And last week we talked about the one, the question, is the Bible true? Is the Bible true? And I talked about how there are, there's uh, the, the, the spectrum of uh, interpretation of the Bible is that there are those who do more of an academic study of the Bible and they kind of end up at uh, the Bible is myth. And then, of course, then there are those who say, no, the Bible is literal. It is literal. And so uh, a lot of us find ourselves somewhere in between and not sure uh, sometimes what the right answers are on that question. And so when we look at that, that sense of uh, it's one, this or this, we, we, the you know, vocabulary lesson was false dichotomy, that, that we put the, the things opposed to each other as if those are the only options. And it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. So I talked about how Jesus had these, this series of conversations all through the Gospel of uh, Mark. People would come to him with questions. It would be questions out of the, from their understanding of the Bible, but it would be about, well, Jesus, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about that? And it was just all these things. And Jesus would answer them and try to point them to the larger issue. And you finally, in chapter 12, you have someone who is a religious expert who said, <clears throat> So, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? And talked about the fact that finally someone asks a different kind of question. And that often when we get, find ourselves spinning around understanding the Bible, sometimes we're just asking the same questions over and over. Sometimes a different question, a different focus, step back from it. And that's what, that's what that religious scholar did. And so Jesus said, you know, the great commandment, to love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. And so that truth and wisdom that were present in that conversation are things that we can hang on to Especially when we run into these questions, these God-sized questions, that sometimes can leave us feeling a little bit unsettled. So we, so we learned those affirmations last week, and, and you can participate along with me. We learned that God is good 
and all the time. And we're going to love God, love people. Absolutely. So so those are the things to remember, the things to hold on to, your home base when it comes to understanding anything about the Christian faith. Because, you know, the the thing is, is that perceptions and beliefs change over time. They really do. Most of us take for, for granted having a fork on the table when we're eating. Did you know it was in the late Middle Ages when it was finally acceptable to have a fork? It's not that they hadn't thought of it, they had. But you see, the common depiction of, of the devil in those days was the devil with a pitchfork. So the pitchfork and the fork looked a little too much alike, and we're not going to have that at our table. Or the saxophone. Saxophone, historically, it was more of a later uh, uh, development in the musical world. <clears throat> Excuse me. And... Um, but the church, early 20th century, like 1902, I believe it was, banned the use of the saxophone in the church. Yeah, I mean, some, some complained even of the tones of the saxophone. It was a little too sultry or something. Um, and, and it was used in jazz clubs. It was used in jazz clubs. And then during Prohibition, it was in the speakeasies where people would go to dance, right? There'd be a band there, and the saxophone was prominently featured. And so the good Christian people said, we're not going to have a saxophone in our church. They even refer to it as the devil's horn. Well, we've learned a few things. So today, the God-sized question to talk about is, is it creation or evolution? Creation or evolution? Well, (laughs) if you're listening a little bit ago, it's already a false dichotomy. We're pitting two things against each other that are not necessarily mutually exclusive. Maybe we don't have to make a choice between the two. But really, that's just that this is an entree into the larger conversation around faith and science, right? Faith and science. What's the relationship of faith and science? And there are certainly a fair number of Christians in our world that are uh, uh, science strikes fear in their heart. And they think that science is trying to in general, trying to convince them some things are wrong that they've believed for a very long time. It's funny, you know, we don't talk about faith versus mathematics or faith versus art, those kinds of things. But those things don't really pose much of an existential sense of threat, do they? And and the thing is, the ironic thing is, we don't reject science. We live with science every day. The thing we call a cell, a cell phone, even though we don't talk on it much, science. Self-driving vehicles, science. Uh, if you're taking medication, some chemist had to figure that out, right? Science. I mean, over and over, everything about our life somehow is a result of science. But for some reason, then when we come to topics like creation, well, we're not sure we want to talk about science. I have a friend, a pastor, who uh, told me years ago he was serving in a church that was in a town that uh, much of the town, the life of the town revolved around the national laboratory that was there. And, and so when you're in those towns, you have a whole lot of people who are, have PhD and they're, they're, they're actual scientists, right? And so he was going to do a children's time one Sunday, and so he was trying to, he wanted to talk to the kids about what faith meant, you know, that it's trust in things you may not understand. 
And so he, he thought, you know, he'd ask a question to get them started. So they had the kids up there, and he said, I want I to ask you a question. Do you know how airplanes fly? Well, a six-year-old boy who is the son of two Ph.D. scientists piped up and said, everybody knows it's thrust and lift. And my friend said, yeah, that's it. Okay, <laughs> go back to your seats. <laughs> you know, there are those moments you're like, I don't know what else to say now. Well, many of you have heard of Galileo. Uh, Galileo was a, a prominent, prominent uh, person in history in the um, 17th century. Uh, when you go back and you re- read the things he did, was involved in, a uh, pivotal person and, in science and mathematics and, uh, and all kinds of things. And, but he's really, in some circles, notorious for when he said that the sun is in the center of our solar system and things revolve around the sun. Because you see, the official teaching of the church in that day and time was the earth is in the middle and everything revolves around the earth. And he said, well, it doesn't work that way. He was uh, uh, charged with vehement suspicion of heresy. The Pope charged him with vehement suspicion of heresy. He was arrested, spent time in jail, and then, and then he was allowed to go home, but he was under house arrest. He was forced to recant, to, to back away from his claim that the sun was in the middle of the solar system. Uh, but as one commentator said, he, he did so with his fingers crossed behind his back uh, because he never really backed off of it because he knew he was right. Now, you can imagine, though, that the people that, were, that heard this in that frame of reference, early 1600s, right? That frame of reference, they're like, are you kidding? I'm standing on solid ground. I'm not moving, and yet I see the sun go across the sky. I'm not moving. It's clear. It's obvious. That, and of course, now we know we're all moving, right? We're all moving in space. <laughs> we're all doing this, and we're, yeah. But they didn't know that. And when they read the Bible about how God created the earth, that God established the earth on its foundations. And we read just a little bit ago how the dome separated the waters. So, so the visual image of the ancient world of the understanding Christians was, was that literally the, the earth was on pillars, fixed on pillars, and the dome was to hold water up there. That's why the sky is blue. There's water above the dome. So that, uh, well, obviously, because it leaks every now and then, right? But there's also water below us, because when you dig far enough, you hit water. So the earth is set on its pillars, and there's water above and there's water below. That's the way the world is, and everything revolves around the earth. So this was, this was kind of earth-shaking to them. Uh, no pun intended, I just realized. Uh, no pun intended, sorry about that. <clears throat> but it was earth, because it's this belief, the Bible says it's this way. And here's someone saying, well, it doesn't work that way. That was a big controversy in its time. And it took years for the church to finally accept what Galileo had said and said, well, I think he's right. It took a long time. This is where a lot of people use the slippery slope argument. You might have heard the slippery slope argument. That's where someone says, well, if we question whether the earth is in the middle of the solar system, well, then we're going to have to question that God created. Then we're going to question the resurrection of Jesus. And then before long, we don't believe anything. It's a slippery slope. 
And so a lot of folks begin to be afraid to ask, even ask questions when it comes to faith. Interestingly, that's pretty much all science is, is asking questions and pursuing what they can find out. You've probably heard of Charles Darwin. Um, yes, I just said Charles Darwin's name in a church service. Yes, I did. Uh, he was, uh, well, uh, Galileo too. He, uh, Darwin was headed to seminary. He wanted to be a priest, but decided to study science first and uh, got really enchanted with that and became a naturalist, literally studying nature, uh, chronicling and cataloging every living thing he could find. And it was, you know, the story, it's when he was, he was on this uh, uh, excursion to, to study, and he was on this ship called the Beagle, and he was at the uh, Galapagos Islands, and so he was cataloging all these different animals. And so, uh, and so then as they went around a different part of the island, and he saw, so for example, he saw a bird. It was the same bird. He could tell it's the same bird. It's the same species, but it's different. The bird over there had a short and broad beak. This one over here has a long, narrow beak. How did that happen? How did that happen? So he begins to study and realizes that animals adapt to their surroundings over a series of generations, it's not instant, uh, so to ensure the survival of the species. And he called it natural selection. Now, interestingly, he, he never used the word evolution. When you read, he didn't use the word in, in The Origin of Species, that book that he wrote, the first book he wrote, uh, did not use the word evolution. Anybody read The Origin of Species? Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those books that a lot of people love to hate and haven't read it. Um, he doesn't use the word evolution. That, that came along later. And, of course, eventually the, the really objectionable thing was when, uh, was the theory, always clear it was a theory, that, that humans descended from primates, from apes. And that was very... That was not happy. That made a lot of people not very happy. And so there's a lot of rebellion against that. Uh, and remember those two, the Bible is myth, the Bible is literal. And boy, you could really see that play out in the way that got talked about. So, so you have this the, the more recent controversy in the early 20th century uh, with John Scope's trial in Tennessee about teaching evolution in a public school. You know, we're not sure of a question, so we're not going to teach it in schools. Yes, I just said that too. So, unfortunately, with all these kinds of things, we tend to pit them as if they are opposed ideas. Right? Here's how we get out of the false dichotomy. We've got to understand they're asking different questions. Science is trying to answer questions about how. How is it that the same bird has a different beak in different places? How is it? that that happened? How is it that that would develop? How? how? They're trying to ask the how questions. Faith is trying to answer the why questions, the questions about meaning and purpose. Those are really important. That's a really important difference. We have to understand they're having different conversations, and to pit them together have you ever had an argument with someone, maybe even a spouse, and, and then after a while you realize we're really arguing about two different things? Just me? <laughs> no, I think we've all had that experience. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, I thought we were talking about that. Okay, that's faith and science. And, and, in the, and, and along the way, we're going to have differences of opinion, right? 
that happened a certain way. That ha- okay, we're going to have differences of opinion. Does it mean the world is falling apart? When I was in college, uh, I had a roommate one year who's, who lived in the town. His family lived in the town where we went to school. And he, um, his dad was a, you know, everybody knew he was a piano tuner. Well, he was far more than a piano tuner. He was the piano tuner. Uh, anybody in town that was going to have a concert, any, there were universities there. Any university that was going to do something, uh, someone passing through town, he even tuned a piano for an Elvis Presley concert once. I mean, this guy was the guy. This is who you brought in. But he not only did that, he, he would uh, restore and refurbish and re, um, uh, refinish pianos. And so, um, so I was at their house one day, and he said, hey, I, I could use some help. I got a couple of pianos I got to bring in and work on them. If you'll help me, I mean, I'll teach you some stuff about this, and I'm not going to pay you, but you can eat all the food you want. I was 19 years old. All the food I wanted <laughs> sounded pretty good. So sure, okay. And so we, we get the pianos, and he showed me how you, how you take them apart. He taught me how you push the key, and there's the lever, the lever action where the hammer strikes the, the strings, and those are attached to this, this frame, and there's the soundboard. And he taught me how a piano makes music. It was fascinating. I wish I could have worked with him longer. He taught me how a piano makes music. He did not, he could not tell me why one particular piece of music made me just want to relax and take a nap, and how a different piece of music inspired me that I wanted to jump up and start clapping, and how a different piece of music affected me differently. He couldn't tell me why. He could just tell me how. Those are two different things. The power of music is not in the lever action of the hammer and the... The power of music is something far greater than that. And so, when we think of creation, and I think of the, the passages in the Bible of creation... <clears throat> Excuse me. Genesis 1, Genesis 2, uh, Psalm 8, Psalm 104, Isaiah 42. There are these passages that are describing creation. And to me, when I read those, they're beautiful. And it's like I'm hearing the musical score behind God's creation. It's just beautiful. And so when we read the Bible, we read that God created. Doesn't necessarily spell out how. That God created. That we affirm, God created. We know that. We believe that. Even though we may not know exactly how. But we know that the Bible teaches that there is a reason, there is a why of God's creation. Particularly about humans, right? There is a why to this. And the why to begin with was God wanted relationship. So, so God creates the first human and then realizes, well... There needs to be another one, so it creates another human to be in relationship. And then after a while, it was, okay, your purpose is you've got to take care of the garden because the garden has a lot going on, and I need you to take care of it. That's before things went sideways with the serpent. So they were, your purpose is to be in relationship and to care for those things there in creation. After things went sideways, it was when God called to Abraham and said, I'm going to bless you, and you and your descendants will be a blessing to all the families of the earth. We are blessed to be a blessing. You find later in the Old Testament that God's call to God's people was to be sure to witness to God's goodness and God's glory. 
That's continued in the person of Jesus, right? The last thing Jesus said before he ascends into heaven, after he's died, he's been resurrected, and he says to go and make disciples of all nations, to witness to the good news of Jesus Christ to all nations, to all people everywhere. And then that's empowered by the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts right away. Those are powerful answers to the why God created. may not be all the hows that we know yet, but it's the why. Psalm, and, and, then, and then how does all this look? How do you characterize all this? Through arguing? Enforcing things? Looks like love, according to the Bible. Um, Psalm 100 says, Because the Lord is good, His loyal love lasts forever. John 3.16, For God so loved the world. Jesus said, If you're my followers, people will know you're my followers by your love. There's, there's a lot of questions about the hows still. But we know the why. We know the why. Let's pray. God, we're grateful for... Uh, the love and the care with which you created all that we know. We thank you for the purpose for which you have created everything, so that all of your creation would show your honor and glory, and that we humans would be here to serve not only the creation, but to serve you and to serve your purposes. God, help us to Help us to have confidence when we don't have answers of how, because we have the answers to the whys. God, we pray that you'll help us to exhibit mercy and grace and love in those sometimes heated conversations and discussions that happen around this kind of topic. Help us to be examples of that why that you gave us when you created us. Pray that we would truly be your witnesses. Be your witnesses with our own families. Be your witnesses in our neighborhoods. Be your witnesses in our places of work, at school, and to all the world. We thank you for your goodness and for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Stonebridge United Methodist Church. You are invited to worship with us every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. For more information, visit our website, mysumc.org. Have a blessed day.